We're going to pray this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to minister through the teaching of the Word. I know we have uh, a, a little bit of a, of a packed schedule this morning because of our reports, but I believe God's put something on my heart. Uh, we extended our series on extraordinary faith by one week so that I kind of give you this bonus week, and I feel like it's important for all of us. I want to challenge you today to understand that your faith is under attack. You might not realize that. But the faith we've been talking about and teaching about for the last five or six weeks uh, is something that we have to protect and guard against what I simply call faith killers or viruses that target your faith. Now, we've learned a lot of things already about faith, just to mention a few. We've learned that through faith, we can do great exploits for God. We've learned that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've learned that with faith, that we can literally change the events in people's lives. We've learned that faith taps into heaven, and that is how we receive from God. A lot of people say, I don't know how to get answers to my prayers. One way is to make sure that when we pray, that we're praying prayers of faith. So faith, we've also learned, is, is commended by Jesus. Every time he observed great faith, he commended it. So, for example, the Syrophoenician woman, you may remember the story in Matthew chapter 15, who, brought, uh, who came to Jesus about her daughter. And the scripture says, uh, Jesus said to her, woman, your faith is great. So he's commending her for the significance, the size of her faith. And he said, and it will be done for you just as you desire. And it says, and her daughter was healed at once. Also, we've learned that people were being rebuked for their lack of faith. As we learned last week, their small faith. We learned last week that there are different sizes of faith. And we all begin with the same seed. Romans chapter 12 says that each of us has been given a measure of faith. So God puts a seed of faith on the inside of us, but then he expects us to grow it, develop it, into where it is more and more effective for him. So the smaller your faith is, the smaller things you can accomplish. The larger your faith grows, the more that you can accomplish. And so we found that it is like a mustard seed, a seed that grows from a small seed into a big tree. And so uh, we, we, we even see, for example, in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 6, the Bible says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. It was shocking to him. He couldn't believe why is their faith so small. I wonder how many times Jesus looks at us today and says, I'm amazed at how little your faith is. Everything that you've read, everything that you've seen, everything that you've observed, all that you have available to you at your fingertips, and yet your faith is still so underdeveloped, I think sometimes Jesus would be amazed at us. What I want to suggest to you today is in order to grow our faith and keep it strong and to use it effectively, we also have to guard our faith from attacks. Mm -hmm. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. How does he accomplish that? One of the ways that he accomplishes it, it, it is to undermine and to defeat and diminish our faith. So if he can take... Look, he doesn't care about a whole lot of stuff about your life, frankly. The devil doesn't care about a lot of things about your life, whether you have it, you don't have it, you're doing this, you're not that. But I'll tell you one thing he does care about, your faith. Because he knows that if your faith is growing and strong, you are dangerous to him. You are a threat to him. And what you can do to advance and extend God's kingdom is shocking to him. 
And so he launches all out attacks in order to kill or affect negatively our faith. So I just want to call these viruses, all right? Because we all understand what viruses are. All of us have succumbed to viruses before. And we know that actually viruses have gotten to a certain point that now they even have what are referred to as killer viruses. And a virus is a condition that attacks our body and our health. Now, back in 2016, maybe one of the better known viruses uh, was the Ebola virus. And there was a certain strain called Ebola Zaire which actually killed 90% of the people it infected. Now, that is scary, isn't it? But the point of the matter is that a virus is designed to attack our health and our bodily functions. Did you know that spiritually there are also viruses? Not just physically, but spiritually there are viruses that attack our body. The idea is uh, that, I mean, the reality is is that most of us from time to time are going to have to deal with the virus. I mean, we're going to catch a a, a certain viral infection. Most of us have had to fight one of these off at some point in our life. So really the question is not if, but when. And more importantly, how will we deal with the virus when we're attacked? And how can we keep it from turning into a more serious, possibly even terminal disease that ultimately will wipe out your faith war? You see, it's a very real risk particularly if it's left untreated. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about some viruses, specifically uh, some viruses that address your faith and are designed to kill it. Now, what I want to use is a Bible text, a Bible story. It's probably well known to most of you, but it illustrates for us, I'm going to glean three viruses from this particular story, and I could probably give you a dozen, all right? But I think these are some of the more dominant Uh, predominant viruses that we face and that are targeting our faith life, all right? So you ready for these? We're going to talk about a story from Numbers chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn there, maybe even from the visuals that I have on the screen, you'll know exactly what that story is about. Let me see if I can set the scene, and then we're going to read the text together. God had promised the Israelites a piece of land, real estate, literally real estate, called Canaan. They called it the promised land. He said, you are going to be so blessed when you go in and take this land. It's yours. It was actually promised to them when they were still slaves in Egypt. But then, of course, God delivered them out of their bondage through Moses' anointing, and he led them across the Red Sea. And the purpose of leaving Egypt, a lot of us sometimes don't understand, the reason that they left Egypt was, yes, to get out of bondage, but more importantly, they left to get into something. They came out to get in. It would have been bad if they just came out. But the purpose of God delivering them from bondage was to give them his promise, to allow them to live in this blessed land of flowing with milk and honey, the land called Canaan. He gave them the real estate deed to that property as a promise when they were in Egypt. And then as they were released out of Egyptian bondage, he sent them on a journey and on a path that should have legitimately taken about six months to get to the promised land. So in about that time period, they ended up in a location, a geographical location called Kadesh Barnea. And that's where we find the story in Numbers chapter 13. 
So let's go to Numbers 13. I've just selected a few of the scriptures. We can't read the whole thing, but I've selected some of them, and maybe you can see them on the screen, and you can read as I read it to you. Moses sent them, pause, he sent 12 spies. These were representatives, one for each tribe. All right, there were 12 tribes of Israel. So he selected one from each tribe, and he sent them into the land as spies. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit. In other words, I want to see some actual evidence of the land. Now, basically, this is what we might call a reconnaissance mission, right? They're being sent to surveil and to observe and to... I mean, he gave them... It's amazing. God gave them this very analytical approach to, here's what I need, here, here's what I need you to know. Go and research this and bring back the information. So we skip forward to verse 26. And beginning in verse 26, it says this. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them to the whole assembly and they showed them the fruit of the land. That was the picture of the big cluster of grapes I showed you just before. So they were literally brought back evidence of the land where they had been. They showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and yes, it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit to prove it. But, now you always have to underline but, usually in the Bible. Sometimes it's good news, sometimes it's bad news. Here it's bad news. All right? But, they said, the people who live there are powerful. The cities are walled, fortified, and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Um, it goes on to say, uh, I skipped this one verse here, but it just says that the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. The basic point is all the ites were living there. Right. So, and all the ites were big and dangerous. All right? So we skip over to verse 30, and the scripture says, Then Caleb, who was one of the spies, who were the names of the two spies that gave the good report? Joshua and Caleb. All right. So we have 12 spies. So now, now we've heard already an initial report. And then verse 30, Caleb says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, time out. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, boy, this was, these were words of faith, weren't they? Do you hear any doubt? Do you hear any doubt at all in Caleb? None at all. And he was challenging. He was pretty bold to say this because he just got through hearing what the other ten were saying, which was what? No way. Can't do that. It's too big, too problematic. So Caleb 
immediately uh, took, had great courage and he spoke words of faith. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him, that was the other ten, said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. When was the last time you faced a problem and you said, I don't know about that because I think that problem is bigger than I can handle. I think that is stronger than I am, right? The same, same, same story. We can't do it. You notice the contrast between verse 30 and verse 31? Caleb said, what, we can? And the other guy said, what, we can't. Big difference, right? We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And not only that, but they spread among the Israelites a bad negative report about the land that they had explored. So they began to say things like this. The land we explored devours those who are living in. It literally eats them up. And all the people that we saw were of great size. They were all giants. We saw the Nephilim there. These were the descendants of Anak uh, who came, came from the Nephilim, and these were all giants, all right? And literally, it says here in the last phrase of verse 33, we seemed like grasshoppers to them. You get the contrast? They're, still, they're giants. Everybody lives there giants, and we seem like what? We're seem like just like a little bug compared to those giants. Now, this is a very interesting verse. It says, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. He said, so we, we, we have two problems here. First of all, we're, he was saying, they think we look like grasshoppers. But then he got to the real problem. He said, and we thought of our, we think ourselves as grasshoppers. You see that inferiority thing, that small thinking about themselves? And so this was the report. Now, of course, we know that the rest of the story is the report that literally the viruses that were spread by the 10, and I'm sure the devil was pretty happy with all this, it spread among the camp, just like a virus does. They're always contagious. As we'll talk about these three viruses that we see from the story, they're contagious. And they're easily spread. And as the 10 began to share this, most of the congregation of Israel bought into it. And as a result, guess what happened? They were not able to go in and take possession of their promised real estate. Now, by the way, quick sidebar observation. I've always wondered why Moses didn't stand up and say, what's wrong with you people? We're going to do this. We're just going to do this. Because Moses believed God's word. He had Joshua and Caleb on his side. So why didn't he do that? I think it's an interesting, uh, fascinating leadership study, actually. And I believe that the answer is that he knew enough about leadership to know you've got to have your team with you. you. You can do your best to lead a group of people, but if the people aren't willing to go, then you're out there on your own. And he knew his responsibility was to take the whole nation of Israel into the promised land. So what was the result? The result was tragic. And that was that they actually had to keep on their wilderness journey for another 38 to 39 years. So in 40 years total, they wandered in the wilderness 
back and forth, go back and look at the maps, all the way around, wandering around the wilderness, suffering. Because why? They missed this opportunity. They missed this opportunity. The window of opportunity was there. It was God's perfect timing then. They missed the timing. They missed the window. And as a result, they had to do what? That whole generation literally had to die off in the wilderness because they couldn't exercise faith at the moment God needed them to. I wonder how many times we resemble the children of Israel at Kadesh Barney. Now, I'm just going to suggest to you, uh, I know that we have limited time, so I'll make it quickly, but I hope that you'll remember these. I just want to recognize and observe three specific viruses that we see in this story that will absolutely attack and potentially kill your faith. All right? Three viruses. Here we go. Very simple. You could teach this. All right, number one, doubt. I might just throw in their unbelief, all right? Doubt and unbelief. They're, they're kissing cousins, all right? Doubt and unbelief. So what's the difference? Doubt is when we question God. We question him or his promises or his will. We question, we question it. Unbelief is where it's a little bit more of a settled resistance, isn't it? God's will, his word is this, and we take a position of unbelief where we say, I don't believe it. I, I'm, I'm kind of resisting and rejecting that. And doubt, by the way, will lead eventually to unbelief. But we see it in the story, don't we? The problem was is that the spies that went into the land, and, and, as, and, by, and by extension, the rest of the Israelites, when they heard the report, they had a choice. They either believed God's promise, this is yours, but you've got to go in and take it. That was God's promise. They didn't believe it. So they doubted God's ability. They doubted God's timing. They doubted God's ability to empower them. They doubted God's promise to them that he had made very clearly. And as a result, the doubt spread like a virus. How often does that happen to us? The Bible warns us about this virus repeatedly. For example, in James chapter 1, we have the promise that says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, pray. That's a great promise, isn't it? Pray and ask, but you've got to finish. Next couple of verses, very important. Verse 6, as I have on the screen, it says, but when you ask, what do you have to do? You must believe, that's faith, and not doubt. Watch it. What it now it explains to us what doubt does. Doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea. It just gets blown and tossed back and forth by the wind. That person, who is that person? The doubter. Am I right? Am I interpreting this correct? That person, meaning who the previous verse spoke about, who's the person who's doubting, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I don't know about you. I'm pretty simple, but that's clear to me. It's like, like, okay, if I want answers to prayer, I'm to pray by faith, believing, and I shouldn't doubt because doubt will undermine and weaken my faith, right? And if I ask in doubt, the Bible is saying, don't think you're going to be getting it. Don't kid yourself. 
If you're asking with doubt in your heart, it's going to rob you from the answer. Oh, this is a serious virus. Franklin D. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt said, the only limit to our success tomorrow would be our doubts of today. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 13 that in Nazareth, Jesus wanted to do mighty works. He wanted to do signs and wonders in his own town, but he couldn't. Why? Because of their unbelief. They didn't believe. And as a result, even Jesus' power was limited in their midst. It's not God's problem. Don't point your finger at God. Don't blame God. It is many times our own lives that have succumbed to the virus of doubt. It'll rob you and keep you from inheriting God's best for your life, your promised land. I remember quite a number of years ago, Carrie and I were leading a church, and we were in a building project similar to what we're getting ready to launch here. And we had challenged our congregation to pray and seek God about how they could give and what God was speaking to them to sacrifice. And Carrie and I had prayed, and we got a number. <laughs> we got a number that exceeded what we thought we could do. And, boy, we wrestled with it. But we finally st- stood up and said, okay. Wrote down, this is what the Lord spoke to us. We're just going to release our faith. God, you're going to have to provide and find a way so we can give this money to help our building program. We were asking for for, uh, three-year pledges, and so we wrote down the number. As we entered into that three years, well, I tell you what, my faith was like just up and down, up and down, because I kept trying to figure out. I'd I'd think, okay, well, surely God's going to provide, and and then I'd get hit with a doubt like, who do you think you are? You think you can afford that? And then I'd, then I'd fight it off with, with a word from the Lord, and, and then I'd be hit with another doubt. And back and forth we went, and we just kept absolutely returning every time to God. If you spoke it, you're the one who's going to provide it. You will provide a way. You'll work miracles. You can, if you turn water into wine, you can do something on this account, and this is for your kingdom, so do it. Do you know what? by the end of the three years... The amount of money that we pledged, God brought in every single dime of it and enabled us supernaturally to fulfill our pledge. And I remember, I, I remember after it was all done, I thought, man, why was I so doubtful? Why was I always questioning God during the whole process? But doubt can really affect us, can it? Just like it did the children of Israel. And then number two, there is the second virus is simply fear. A common spiritual virus that attacks all of us. It's common to everyone, and every one of us have been affected by the virus of fear. All different kinds of fears. I mean, there's so many fears. I mean, there's the fear of, uh, of dying. There's the fear of rejection that's so common. There's the fear of failure. There's the fear of flying. There's the fear of heights. There's the fear of everything imaginable. There's so many fears. The Bible, God made sure that the scripture included 366 times. The Bible says, fear not. That's a lot of fear not. You know why? He wanted to make sure you had one for every day. And one for leap year. All right. He wanted, I mean, he wanted to make sure that we had fear nots. I I think he's probably trying to get a message to us, isn't it? Right. Beware of the virus of fear. Now, here's what you need to understand about fear. The Bible makes it clear. Second Timothy one, seven, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So it doesn't come from him. Fear is not of God. So if it's not of God, what is it? 
Well, it's either our own making or it's from the devil himself. And let me tell you what, the devil is the author of fear. It is one of his primary strategies to try to attack and, and weaken our faith. Fear has amazing power if we give it a foothold. We need to have to, have to understand how it works. You cannot operate simultaneously in fear and faith. They oppose each other. They are on opposite sides. You can't be on offense. Look, it's football season. Right? You can't be on offense and defense at the same time, right? You're either on offense or you're on defense. I mean, you can't do both at the same time. You're either in faith or you're in fear. And which is it? If we're in faith, we position ourselves to receive God's best. If we're in fear, our faith is under attack. And we have to understand the nature. Look, look you know what fear does? There's a scripture that says fear in the King James. It says fear hath torment. Now, it is tormenting. But let me define that word. That's an interesting word in the original Greek language. The word for torment is a word that literally means paralyze. Paralysis. Isn't that what fear really does? It paralyzes us. It keeps us from movement. It keeps us from forward progress. It sticks us, it stymies us. We, we get stuck in our tracks, sometimes even falling back because why? Fear attacks us. Fear immobilizes. Fear will paralyze you. Fear will torment you. It will rob you from faith. And all, by, all, by all means, uh, it can actually be creative and actualize itself. Even Job said, that which I feared the most has now come upon me. We can actually use fear the way that we use faith. Fear, let's see if I can explain this. Fear is to the devil what faith is to God. Fear is a belief in the wrong report. Back to Numbers 13. So fear is, is a response, the wrong response to the wrong report. The right response is what? A faith response. When we exercise faith, we release God's activity in our life. When you operate in fear, you, op, you actually are releasing satanic activity in our life. I knew I'd wake you up on that one. I knew that. Now, I could tell you so many stories, and I don't have the time to tell you many. I'll just tell you one story of someone set free from fear, and then I'll uh, wrap up with the third verse. Uh, many years ago, we were pastoring a, a lady that we had led to Christ, and after she came to Christ, we found out that she had a, um, a condition, a psychological condition of fear. A, 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 it was a serious fear. I, I can't remember what the um, official name Maybe some of my PsyD students here can help me out here. But it was a fear that didn't allow her to leave her home. What's it called? Agoraphobia. Or agoraphobia. agoraphobia. Remember that, all right? You'll be tested next Sunday. All right. This lady, now she's sharp. She was bright. No, I, you would just never have dreamt it. But she couldn't leave her house for fear. I mean... She had so much to offer, but she couldn't go shopping. She couldn't do anything. She, I mean, if she ever left the confines of her house, she was just like freaking out, okay? And you would see the panic attacks in her. 
And I was like, really? I mean, I was really young in ministry. I'm like, man, this is pretty serious. I said, I don't know much about it. I said, I just know one thing. God's not the author of this. Because here, you're bound up in your house. How can you serve God? How can you be used of him? You can't even get out of your house to go shopping. You can't even take care of your family. This can't be God. She said, yeah, but I don't know what to do about it. I said, well, I know what to do about it. So we gave her scriptures. Ask her to begin to study those scriptures and memorize those scriptures and verbalize those scriptures on a daily basis. And I said, and we're coming to your house to pray for you. So we came to her house and we took authority over every spirit of fear. Over you know, Fear can be a spirit. Not all fear is a demon, but there are spirits of fear. And we took authority and dominion over the spirits of fear in her house, broke the curses over her household and her family, cast out those demons of fear. Do you know within two months, she was coming out of her house little by little. Within six months, she was coming to church regularly. Within two years, she was one of the most involved, participating ministers in our church. Totally free. Totally free. The virus, she refused to let the virus of fear capture her and keep her Captive. Let me give you one more and we'll close. I'm sorry that we've gone so long today. And that is intellectual reasoning. Back to Numbers 13. Did you see it take place there? Did you see what they were going through? It says, they said in, in verse 28, but the people who live there, do you see this reasoning? But the people who live there are powerful. The land is good, but the people are giants. There's no way we can do this. And then later on, their conclusion, verse 31, they were very emphatic. They said, the men said, we are not able to go up against them. So they drew a conclusion based on what? Human intellectual reasoning. Many times our own intellectual minds get in our way. Now, God has given to us an intellect. God's given to us the ability to process, analyze, evaluate, create all these mental processes. But God wants our minds to be renewed by his word, and he wants our minds to be subject to our hearts. So when the heart isn't dominating the mind, and remember we said faith is where of what? It's of the what? It's of the heart. Faith is believing in the heart, not the mind. Faith is of the heart. So when we allow the mind to get ahead of the heart, we're in for trouble. And so what we have to do is understand that that there's nothing wrong with intellectual processing, but we have to surrender it and subject it ultimately to what God says about a matter. So who's smarter, you or God? Who? What do you think is more true, what you think or what God thinks? I think God's opinion is what's going to matter in the end, don't you? And so what we have to understand is that sometimes our human intellectual reasoning, sometimes our thoughts and all can be affected by what people say. It can be affected by what we see. It can be affected by what we hear. And that's why we have to be very careful about what we take in because it can be a virus that can affect your whole system. And as a result, it can water down and affect your faith. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence. Notice it didn't say keep your intellect with all diligence because out of the heart flow the what the issues of life so we have to keep things in proper priority understanding that there is a relationship between the head and heart and it's not just physiological it is also spiritual so just like these these spies literally infected the whole congregation of the israelites 
with their own intellectual arguments and reasoning, they kept everyone back from experiencing all that God had for them. I believe that God has more for you and for me than what we've already experienced. I believe he desires for us to live a victorious, abundant life. That doesn't mean a life free of problems. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers us out of them all. So we have to have our faith muscles strengthened. I'm going to ask that you would stand to me and our prayer teams would come forward. Here's what I'd really like to do this morning and invite you to to, uh, respond accordingly. I know that there are many of us here today that are struggling with some of those viruses. Some of you might say, I have, I'm, I'm infected. <laughs> I'm standing here today to admit I'm infected by one of those. You can also be uninfected and set free. So what I'm going to do is ask that you would respond today by coming forward and allowing me to pray with you along with our prayer teams. If you say fear, you can identify it. either doubt or fear or just the intellect to a reasoning that just always seems to block you. These are viruses that you have, I mean, we've all felt them, we've all experienced them, but I mean, you seem to really be caught up and it's a stronghold that you really need prayer for. I'm going to ask that you just come forward right now and stand right up here across the front and we're going to pray for you in just a second, all right? We're going to close the service, release everybody else, and we're going to pray for these folks. Come now, please. Just come on up, make, make one row here. We'll pray for you in just a moment. Amen. We've all been there, so this is no judgment. We've all been there. Praise God. Praise God. All right, I'm going to pray for everybody else and and just uh, cover everybody, and then I'm just going to release you and we'll minister to these folks. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that Jesus has come to save us and to deliver us from all the works that the enemy has intended. Lord, just like the Israelites had a promised land, you have a promised land for us. It's kingdom living. It's living in the goodness of your authority under your lordship in the fullness and the abundance of life. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're going to enable us to discern next time we're attacked by a virus, a spiritual virus. We're going to be able to discern it. We're going to be able to fight it quickly. Fight it off and use the weapons of our warfare to do so. So, Lord, I pray blessings on those who've attended this service today. And I just pray that even as we go into our weeks, every step we take, we'll do it, Lord, for you. And that uh, we'll expect you to do more and greater things in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.